Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today uh, through our podcast as we do our midweek discussion. Started a new sermon series this week. We're in the Christmas season, and we got to begin that. Uh, looking forward to being able to preach throughout the Christmas season. It's always a, a fun time and should be an easy time. You don't want to get too creative during this time of year. You want to share uh, why we are celebrating Christmas, the story of Christ's birth. And so we're doing that this year by going through uh, some specific passages in the book of Isaiah. And this week we were in Isaiah chapter 9. There's a very famous uh, verses in Isaiah chapter 9, specifically uh, verses 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we have these prophecies throughout Isaiah, numerous ones of a coming Messiah uh, who will save the people of Judah and Israel. Uh, and there's this speaks of remnant, but Isaiah also talks a lot about the nations coming together under this Messiah. And so we see it extending even outside of Israel. Isaiah deals with the major covenants that we have within Scripture, uh, the God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with, with David, um, God's covenant with Moses, right? We see all of this in Isaiah. And we think of this as he wrote this, 700 or some odd years before Christ was even born and how it just matches up and how God, it's obvious that God gave Isaiah these words to say and these, uh, these visions that he would have and that he would share with the people. And oftentimes the people wouldn't listen during at his time, wouldn't listen, wouldn't seem to care, uh, but still Isaiah was faithful. And so as we study the, these verses in Isaiah, I think it's important to know context so that we can understand what exactly is happening during this time as Isaiah is speaking. And that can be difficult. I know for some, it may even seem boring as we're talking about who was the king, what was the time frame, what was happening in the country, you know, what was happening in the country surrounding them. And I think for some people that can just seem kind of, I don't know, like I said, boring. And they just, just share that verse with us. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. Okay, get it, move on. But you're missing something if you don't understand when this was written and exactly what was happening. Because as you study this and as you learn more about this, you start to see a lot of similarities to maybe the situations that we face today. Maybe you start to understand why something like that would be considered hopeful Uh, and what does it mean to have hope, or it helps us to grasp a little more, what do the promises of God really do for me, and how how do I rest in them? So like one of the examples would be, Isaiah says this, as we said, about 700 years before Christ. These people listening to this might think, tomorrow, in a month, but they're being encouraged to have hope and trust in the promises of God, of which God knows very well they will never see in their lifetime on earth, but still have your hope and promises in this promise I'm giving. And we face that as well today. We have promises that we know are going to happen. So like as we celebrate Advent together, Christ's birth and his coming, we also look forward to his second Advent when he will come again. 
Now, this is a promise we look forward to and we hope for. and uh, We look forward to the time when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, when, when we will see him face to face, when we get to spend eternity with him. But the fact is, it might not happen in our lifetime, right? It, it might happen three years, might happen 40 years, 400 years, 4,000 years. We don't know, but we still have to rest in those promises. And and so it, it does, a, I think it helps a lot to understand some background. So as quickly as I can, Isaiah, what we have happening is we have a king of Judah, King Ahaz. He is not a good king. He does not follow the will of the Lord. Uh, Israel, because Israel and Judah are split at this time, Israel teams up with Syria. They attack Judah, do quite a bit of damage. As a result, King Ahaz, instead of listening to Isaiah, who says, trust in the Lord, right? Keep just trust in the Lord. It's going to be okay. He doesn't do that. He goes to Assyria and aligns with the, the foreign king, aligns technically with the foreign gods and trusts in their kingdom to save the people of God. And that is a no-no. And so he ends up worshiping these foreign gods, gets so bad, sacrifices his own child uh, at one point, and it's not looking good for Judah. And so Isaiah then speaks to uh, King Ahaz again and shares a new prophecy, and it's not a good one in Isaiah 8 because it's a prophecy of destruction. It's a prophecy really of no hope. You know, like it's saying the rivers are going to come and it's going to get all the way up to your neck. And he's talking about Assyria because what ends up happening is Assyria, they don't sit there and just save Judah. They end up taking over is what happens. Uh, And this is what Isaiah said was going to happen. And so when you get to the end of chapter eight, you are left with a hopeless feeling for the people of God in Judah. Like, there's, there's no hope here. We've disobeyed, and we're just going to be taken over. And maybe maybe we'll, we won't be anymore, right? Maybe we'll just be gone. But then out of that, you get this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 of, of hope. Because in verse 1 of, of chapter 9, it says, But, so just talking about all this bad stuff, right? And they will be thrust into thick darkness is how chapter 8 ends. Then chapter 9, but. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Wait, what? We were just talking. We're the ones in anguish. Is what you were just saying. And now there's going to be no gloom? Because in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea in the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so now as you get to chapter 9, you have this hope. You have this prophecy of a glorious day coming and it it seems big because of how it talks about glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan the galilee of nations there's this picture of god's salvation going past just this little confines of the people but beyond and including where it says galilee of the nations all these nations now coming here right and so a dramatic switch from chapter 8 to chapter 9. And one of my hopes in the sermon, what I was really trying to do is I wanted people to see the bleakness and the despair and how in the midst of that, God then says, yeah, but that that doesn't impact me and the promises that I've made to you. And look, the promises are still here. And that's what Isaiah is saying, mm. right? Because um, there's more to it. And we'll look like in Isaiah 7, uh, we'll preach that on uh, Christmas morning, 
but it says, um, the virgin shall conceive, we'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's already been said. In chapter 8, I read that as well. It mentions Emmanuel in chapter 8, God being with us. And so there's already been these hints of this. And now here it is coming again. A Savior, salvation will come to Israel. Yes, it looks bleak. Yes, it looks bad. But there is hope found in me. I wanted to ask you guys, get you guys involved. I quoted... Spencer, help me with this. I, I think I said it right. Alec Motier. How do you say it? I say Motier. Motier. Yeah. But. Motier. The Y you don't even hit. I don't. You just get rid yeah. of that. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't sure. He's Irish. He is? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I didn't know what he, I didn't know. It looked I like a French Irish. name. I think he's, I think he's Irish. Yeah, I don't think he's French. Anyways. In his, <laughs> in his commentary, what do you, what would you say? Motier. Moiter. <laughs> Moiter. Alec Moiter. Come to the front, please. <laughs> Your bologna sandwich is ready. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. And his, uh, he he has written what a lot of people say is one of the best commentaries on Isaiah. And in there, he said, in talking about verse one, he says, as always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dreams shattered and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to remember his present promises, and to make great affirmations of faith? I just want to hear maybe what you guys think of that. Uh, because, again, so bleak of what was being said, and now all of a sudden hope. And trying to correlate that to us today, um, because I do think we have some disadvantages in what he quoted there compared to what the people of that day would have had. And I can explain that more after, after you guys share a little bit, but, but what do you think about that faith in this situation? Bleak. Okay. Here's a promise. All right. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to remember God's faithfulness? Remember his promises and keep moving? Or are you going to look at your current situation Mm -hmm. and live in that? Yeah. I think in a sense, the people of God as a whole, are uh, if uh, there's maybe a sense in which it's applied to the whole nation, the the same situation which was given to Ahaz earlier, where God there's a scary situation. It's there seems to be darkness coming because Israel is aligned with Syria, and you're like, what in the world's going to happen to us? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it says here in verse uh, two, which you're going to preach against eventually. But the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So they're, mm-hmm. they're shaking in their boots. Yes. They're scared to death, and all they can see is the enemy coming. And Isaiah comes because God sends him and says, listen, don't worry about this. Mm-hmm. This is not going to stand. God is with you. And at that moment, Ahaz has a choice, either to believe God is with us and he is able to do what he's promised and what he's already done in the past for Israel, mm-hmm. just like he did on the day of Midian. Right. Or I'm going to tried to scheme and figure out a way and I'm not going to believe God's promise. And we see what he does. He doesn't believe God's promise. He goes out and tries to scheme, makes mm-hmm. an alliance and it works temporarily. Eventually his son is going to ha- Hezekiah mm-hmm. is going to have to face some of the repercussions of that. Whenever Hezekiah though shows amazing faith, yeah. whenever Assyria comes against him. So yeah, it's so good news comes to Ahaz, but he's not united with faith to this news and this promise. And whenever you reject the good news, uh, the promise of God, then you've rejected the safety and the refuge 
um, of God. Yeah. And so, so now I guess what I'm saying is, is now you're right. That same thing now is being put upon the whole nation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all being told the darkness is here, but ultimately there's a promise of, of light and salvation and joy of this child uh, to be born. God is with you. And so now the whole nation is being um, offered this promise and now is put in that same place where they're called upon to receive the promise and not reject it and mm-hmm. disbelieve uh, God's goodness to them. And to be fair, let's be fair to the people of Judah here and even to King Ahaz. Logically, logically, by, yeah. by foreign relations and yep. all these other standards, it makes sense probably to go and align with Assyria. Right. Because... Judah did not have the manpower to beat Israel and Syria. Yeah. Did not have the manpower to beat the Assyrians for sure, who were the dominant mm-hmm. power in the day and age. And so it's like, they're willing to team up with us? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Why would we not do it? What does it cost? What is it going to take? Right. Right? Um, and so I just say that because sometimes we remove ourselves so far from this stuff that we don't think about mm-hmm. about that. Because we, we seem to place history almost as fiction, I think, sometimes in our mind, and we don't compare it to uh, normal today type of stuff, mm-hmm. right? But it would be, you know, some small country, they're getting invaded, and the USA is like, well, we'll help. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah. they're going to, we, you know, they would say, yeah, we'll take your help. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Same with Assyria here. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just saying, I, I think you did a good job of bringing out how, like that quote from Alec Moitier of... <laughs> I mean, at some point you have to choose to to trust God's promises, but what they what they had and what they were being called to do was look to the past and see how God has been faithful in the past to us. Um, and as you were talking about Spencer, like respond in faith to God's promises now, and we have that same we're we're faced with that same choice as God's people. We're able to look to the past. We have that benefit of being able to see God's faithfulness to his people all throughout history. I mean, that's that's part of the purpose of the Old Testament is to show you the faithfulness of God. Um, we have that benefit. They had some of that already at that time. But what we see in the past is people not having the full knowledge, not having the promise fulfilled in their time. Like that's what Hebrews 11 references and talks about it says these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth we're we're at a different time in redemptive history the first advent has already happened but we uh, as the church are still called to respond in faith to trust the promises of god despite the difficulties and the challenges that we'll have here on this earth and so as part of the greater people of God, we're we're called to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Look to the past faithfulness of God, trust in his promises for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, oh, I said that I think we're at a disadvantage a little bit today compared to them, and I said I would explain that a little more. Yeah, I was curious about that. Yeah, I think, I think when people today, in my context here, read the Old Testament, we do not do a good job thinking this is my family. Mm-hmm. This is my people. Mm-hmm. Where, from what I gather, even Jewish Americans look back at Moses and stuff and think, that's my heritage. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a great concept 
of what has happened in our salvation and how God has adopted us into his family and what that means. That means Abraham is our father. Mm-hmm. And so we We've been don't grafted in. Yes. And so we don't view this very well of like, that's my grandparents. This is my lineage here. But also, I think if you take it even uh, to a, a closer time, we don't do a good job of looking at history in general. Not even Old Testament. I mean, just church history, so much so that I kind of think Baptists are pretty bad at this. We look at church history and say, those people were all idiots. We're finally figuring it out now. We're kind of starting to get it now. And so for for a lot of people, when you start to talk about, I don't know, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, any of these people, which I'm sure we have some disagreements with, but when we look at the early church fathers, Origen, whoever, whatever it might be, even some of the heretics who we have learned from uh, as a result, we don't see that as our family. We don't see that as our lineage. We don't, we don't see that as any benefit to us, really. And that's sad because when, when he tells the people, you know, are you going to look back at God's faithfulness? I feel like sadly for some of us, we say we don't we don't have that. I don't have that to look back on. Mm. And and we do. It's there. You have to study it. I mean, I'm in the midst, I feel like, of learning a lot of that even even now. And I nobody has it nailed down, but as you as you study church history and why things got the way it is within the church or even with within Roman Catholicism, and then why was there a break? You know, why did the why did the Reformation have to happen? And then what happened in all of that? And you know, and, and studying Okay, these people kind of went that direction. These people, well, how did that happen? You know, and how am I here where I'm at? And you you study those things. What what you do come away with is in the midst of sin and struggle and people's pride, God actually still has been very faithful that the church even exists. We do then see God's faithfulness. Yes, there's errors along the way. I don't think anybody has it perfect and has it right. But we can then look back and say, for thousands of years, God has been faithful to the church, right? To the big mm-hmm. C church of which I'm a part of, and that's my heritage. Mm. Israel is dumb as they look so often is my heritage. Right. But I can say that then the early church fathers, the, mm-hmm. the church in the thousand and 1200s and 1400s, is as sad as some of that stuff might make you that the church did back then. It's your heritage, and God still in the midst of that stuff was faithful to that still today. The gospel's being shared. We have God's word that we can read and understand and know. And so we can find hope in that. But it takes effort on our part to know history. And that's what I meant about the disadvantages. It just doesn't seem to be brought up much. I don't know what you guys... My, you guys could argue against me, and that'd be fine. I'd probably concede. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because a concept I've been thinking about recently is just the. I mentioned this to uh, you, Spencer, a couple of months ago of a podcast that I listened to that was talking about the one thing that makes America very different culturally from most every other nation in the world, and that's our our radical individualism. And that goes into, we don't generally think about ourselves as part of a family group anymore. We think of ourselves as an individual. And that kind of goes at what you were saying in terms of, you don't primarily view yourself as part of a family Mm -hmm. that has a long lineage and a history. And so you don't really care about that. 
mm-hmm. what you care about, gener- not you as a person, but us generally as Americans, is upward mobility. We, par- we care about personal success, personal legacy, and what's happening after us, not necessarily what happened before us. And uh, I think you're right. I mean, that, that's something that's part of our culture. And because that's part of our culture, it kind of spills over into the Christian church in America to where even if we did want to study the Bible as much as we should, um, we wouldn't necessarily think of it in terms of family history all mm-hmm. the time, I think, without consciously telling ourselves, we need this. This is good for us to have. Um, I just think it's that's a concept I've been thinking about recently that I think goes right into that and part of the reason for it. Yeah, I think that's just part of us being American. I don't say that in a bad way, uh, but in, when we look at old buildings around here, you know, they're 200 years old or whatever. When you look at old buildings in Europe, they're 600 years old, 800 years old. Thousand. And, yeah, and so our history just isn't as old in this in this country. And when this country first started, uh, as immigrants came in, their history wasn't of America. Yeah, I have a friend in Scotland who, when we were talking about this once, he can trace his family line back to the 600s <laughs> in Scotland. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I struggle to go probably to like three great-grandparents or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, because there's a lot of mafia in your <laughs> they, they all covered up. Yeah, they say. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, a couple of things come to my mind. First of all, uh, and there's a book uh, called uh, Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns. And it's another, there's a, he wrote a co-book called Why Johnny Can't Preach. It's by a guy named T. David Gordon. And in that book, though, I think it's the hymns one, he argues about our culture today has a, we, we have a, a cultural value of contemporaneity. And what he points out that is, is this, if I say the word something is new, your mind generally thinks of that as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. If I say something is old or traditional, you typically think about that as being, uh, you make a, almost a moral judgment upon it automatically. So we read, one of the reasons why we have this understanding of history is, first of all, we have already a built-in system of values that views the new mm-hmm. um, as, or whenever whenever you watch commercials, Hardly any of them are going to say, we are old, traditional, uh, we do the things the way they've always been done. There might be a few of those, but very, right. most of the time it's like Apple commercials or whatever. It's mm-hmm. it's innovative, new, um, yeah, exciting, transforming, fresh. yeah, yeah, groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of words are always viewed very positively in our culture. Simil- so when we think about history and we think about our relationship to it as Christians, uh, we import that already, and so we think about, well, it doesn't matter. I want to hear something groundbreaking, new, relevant to me. And then second of all, yeah, I do think um, I think also there's just some, uh, uh, we're all this way, I think, to some extent, just biblically illiterate. Um, I've heard it said recently described about reading the Bible. It's like watching a movie, and if I say the phrase, you need to get a bigger boat, if you know the movie, that comes from Jaws right? The movie. But if I just said that quote to you out of the blue and you didn't know the quote, like we say quotes to each other. Like if I said the phrase, oh, that's your precious, 
Well, if you know Lord of the Rings, you know the whole context in which that happens. And I can say that to Scott or whatever, but there would be other people that would say, well, what in the world are you saying? Similarly, I think whenever we read the Bible or we read the New Testament and they're using phrases that are actually rooted in the Old Testament, we don't really get what they're saying because we don't know the movie. Mm. We don't know the Bible. Uh, we don't know the whole story and the context. And so like, for instance, even this thing, right? The sign of Emmanuel, mm-hmm. we just read it about it in Matthew's gospel, but you're trying to show us the whole context. And there's an even fuller meaning that comes out whenever you understand where that quote comes from. Yeah. And and, that, and I, I think Matthew, whenever he quotes that, he's pulling in, in a sense, all of Isaiah yeah. through that one quote in his gospel account. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever we, we're so, um, I mean, I put myself here. We don't know the Bible the way we should. Um, and if we understood the Old Testament and the New Testament as one movie, so to speak, we would understand the flow and our place in it better. Not perfectly, but better, I think, than we, 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 we do now, Yeah, maybe. I was going to say one of the most fun things. I don't know you guys would agree with this or not, but one of the most fun things as a pastor is getting to teach Scripture to help people see that, mm-hmm. that things that they understand from the New Testament actually have their origin in the Old. Right. And to help them see those connections and to kind of see the light bulb moment mm-hmm. go off in yep. their minds. Right. To where all of a sudden the Old Testament is not this old boring thing anymore, but it's this awesome yep. source yep. that we have of Christian Scripture. That's one of the most fun things. Um, but there's something when you were talking about why Johnny can't sing hymns and things, yeah. I thought of, um, I don't know if you guys had heard of this C.S. Lewis quote before mm-hmm. of what he talks about as chronological snobbery, mm-hmm. yeah. but I'll just read that real quick. He says, chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. You must find why it went out of date. Was it ever refuted? And if so, by whom, where, and how cons- how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? If the latter, this tells us nothing about its truth or falsehood. Mm-hmm. And so just the, the idea of like exactly what you said there of mm-hmm. we tend to think, because like I said, we're as Americans, we tend to think about upward mobility, what's coming in the future, what's the newest thing uh, we care about what's new, what's relevant, instead of where did we come from, what's been done in the past. And, and there is a certain also historical reason that we as a, specifically as Americans do that because our whole history is built upon, even for 200 and some years, we're, different, we're the new world. Mm-hmm. We're not part of the old world. We don't have kings. We govern ourselves. We're different than them. Now, I'm not saying those things are all bad. Yeah, there's a lot of good that's coming. But from I'm that. saying we've automatically been set with the framework of we're doing something so different and new and uh, and enlightened that is different from the past. And so if we're not careful, though, we start to take things that can be good and we start to say they're the only they're actually morally superior to everything else that's come before and that's the danger i think uh with if you approach history that way yeah yeah so we're not saying like upward mobility and all that is bad it's just you got to be careful because you lose a lot of valuable stuff in the past Mm -hmm. um and so you don't we we can't do that because that's where like we're talking about here that's where we look back and we remember God's faithfulness and mm-hmm. we don't want to forget that. Just like 
this <laughs> just like we're supposed to remember our history, right? Or we'll repeat it. Mm-hmm. They say, and sadly that happens all the time, right? We forget of what happened before and we fall into those traps again and again. And mm-hmm. we look back and we're like, Oh, our country's actually been through this before. Mm. Right. And we're heading down this direction again. Uh, there's, there's value in history. And, and we have to, now I didn't mean to go off on that long tangent uh, about that, but I think that, that it's good to help us to know why we need to study the, the old Testament, why we need to not be afraid of words. Like you were saying, Spencer, like tradition, cause you're right. Uh, growing up when I heard that word, that was negative. Mm-hmm. That's a negative thing um, that they would say, that's why the Catholic church is so messed up. This tradition, mm-hmm. they just trust in tradition, tradition, tradition. We don't do that. You know, we don't have traditions where, we're willing to accept change and do blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And that made it makes you more holy, I guess. More, yeah. That's what it seemed like. Uh, yeah. But you gotta be, gotta be careful mm-hmm. uh, saying those sort of things. Well, anyways, so uh, what we have in the rest of this uh, chapter here is talks about a glorious day coming in verse one and verse two, there is a light. We see that overcomes the dark and it's a light that is given by God, it's not a light that the people produce or that the people can make up. It's a it's a light that comes and it shines and it's and it's bright, right? And can compete against the darkness. It says, "On them has light shone." Here, uh, verse three: You've multiplied the nations and increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So again, we see an increasing of the people. Uh, of the people of God happening here, a multiplied nation. Again, thinking about Abraham and the covenant made with Abraham there. Uh, And we think about then in the New Testament, the Gentiles being grafted in through the work of Christ. And so that's all taking place that we're seeing here in in Isaiah. And I tried to make it think of like, sadly, in the Midwest, you drive around, you see a lot of dead towns, you know, that at one time probably were were nice. and Like Detroit. Well, I mean, yeah, Detroit. I mean, they say it's back radiator up or whatever. Radiator spring. Yeah, cars. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, something like that yeah. of where. Uh, no, it's you, not nice like St. Louis or towns like that <laughs> yeah. where winters are at. Yeah, yeah. Is that the murder capital of the world right yeah, now? It's one Saint of them. Louis? One of them. <laughs> Detroit's up there too. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I I drove through Ohio recently, and you go through some of these towns that you would have to imagine at one time had to be a really cool place to live. It's not some huge downtown area, but they have this little downtown area with shops and you can see where little restaurants used to be. And you're like, man, this probably was a, a, a great place to grow up. Right. But now it's dilapidated and it's going, but the picture that we're kind of given here in Isaiah is uh, imagine that being that, but then God promises it's coming back and it's going to actually be better. I'm going to have it bustling again. Mm-hmm. There's going to be joy here. There's going to be peace here. There's going to be excitement here. Um, that's kind of the image that we're being given. And then when we get to verse verse 4, it says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. And this is where the story of Gideon comes in, uh, where we should think about uh, how God worked through Gideon. And it's important here, again, to see that in all of this stuff, it's God doing this work. It's not Israel. And, and we really think about that with Gideon. As Gideon is called on, and he's called this mighty man of valor, yet he hides, he he die, he puts the fleece out, uh, he and then when he finally gathers an army, a real big army, to go fight an even bigger army, mm-hmm. God says, you got too many people, Gideon, and he whittles it down, whittles it down to 300 people. And in that story, what do we see? We see God having victory. 
for the people. Yeah, those 300 went and went with their torches, you know, and, and their trumpets and blew the trumpets. And then there was a <laughs> frantic fight and the people start to kill each other in the camp. Uh, and then the then Gideon and his people go and, uh, and attack after as the people are running away and do what God calls them to do. But you see that that was God doing that. You know, that it wasn't God being like, you know what, this is an unfair fight. Gideon, you're such a good fighter that you're equal to about 30,000 men. <laughs> it wasn't that. It's We see the power and might of God, and that's what we're seeing here, what Isaiah is saying, right? Is You can't break the back of the oppressor. You can't do this, but I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. right? I, I will be the one to do this, and so there's going to be freedom for you. You guys have given yourself to Assyria, right? But there, there is coming a day when you will have freedom. There will be no oppressor. And in verse 5, then we see just this complete victory. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And it's this picture of there's no need for the mm-hmm. fatigues anymore. right? There's there's no need for the warrior's armor in the battle ring because it's over. Mm-hmm. There's complete victory. That's what's here. You see, as long as we live on this earth and Christ doesn't return, the fact is there's always danger on every side. Uh, we, we could never fully put away the sword. You, you just can't do that because... There's no promise that the neighbors aren't going to, going to attack, mm-hmm. right? But we have here a promise that, oh, you won't need your boots anymore. You're not going to need the blood-soaked armor. That's just going to be for the fire, right, to take place. And so just a complete victory. And so there's this great buildup, and you expect, at least for me, I would expect, mm-hmm. like, because the warrior is coming like mm-hmm. the one who's going to crush and destroy. And what you get in verse six and seven then is what we read earlier that we read all the time at Christmas. And it seems so cute and innocent. Right. And it says, cause there's a, for unto us, a child is born, a son is given. And so this promise, all these promises of freedom, of victory, of, of a glorious day coming is found in a, in a baby. Mm-hmm. And again, we have, we have not of your work, but it's a work of God. And we have, we have here this Emmanuel that's been talked about mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's a baby being born, so there's flesh, man, but it, it, a son is, is given, and there's this hint there of a gift from, from God. And so the divinity aspect is being hinted at here uh, in a pretty cool way. Uh, and so that's what we have in, in the promise of his names, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are these are titles that cannot be given to yourself. You cannot give yourself. These are titles that God is giving to this to this person, mm-hmm. and it describes a. All those together describe a perfection mm-hmm. of a leader, so to speak. Yeah, total opposite of what Ahaz is at this moment, right? right? Mm-hmm. Total opposite. Um, also, I think of, I'd have to, and it would be interesting to, to look at the original, but the English translation seems to hint uh, an emphasis in a way that uh, you wouldn't normally do it. We would normally write this sentence, a child is born to us. Um, so the child would be the subject, the is born is the, the verb, right? Right, yeah. And then to us mm-hmm. is the indirect object. 
the person to whom it is it, that takes an interest or is given to mm-hmm. these things. But that's put at the front. Right. And sometimes in uh, Hebrew, um, they will rearrange the words uh, and put things at the front in order to give an emphasis. And I wonder if Isaiah, in saying this, is putting the emphasis on for to us, yes. a child is born. That is how it is. He is given yep. to us. And yep. this is like supposed to be, because it's kind of like the way the gospel comes. It's one thing to say a child's been born. But then if I come to you and say a child's been born to you, for you, just kind of like when the angels come to the shepherds and say, for unto you is born this day in the city of Bethlehem, a savior. If they had just said there's a savior been born, but that that doesn't mean anything to me. But the minute that you come to me and say it's to me or unto me or for me, then that shows the the relationship and the interest I have in that event happening. Similarly here, Isaiah is preaching the gospel um, by saying to us, a child is born. He's been given for us. So God is with us. And in, in giving this child, um, there's just a highlight of comfort, I think, for the people of God who've just gonna, who are going to go through great darkness, but this child is given to them. And I think he's relishing in the to-us-ness um, of the promise of being given there. Mm-hmm. So, And this is why the history, I think, is so important of understanding the backstory to, to grasp what do these verses talk about. As you said, this is the opposite of King Ahaz. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite of what they currently have, right. the situation they find themselves in. And so it's a desperately needed word, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what God gives them. Now, it's not going to happen in their lifetime, right? but it's coming. And the way that Isaiah talks about it is almost as if it has come. It's like a, yeah. you know, there's this guarantee mm-hmm. that it's like a, it's almost like the time we live in often is, talk, is called, uh, we're living in the now, but not yet, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. it hasn't happened, but it's happened. Right, yeah. In prophecy, (laughs) they often use, I think it's the perfect tense, Mm -hmm. to highlight this is as good as done. Mm -hmm. Because God said it's going to happen, and they write it as if, they write it in the past tense, um, or the whatever, to, to highlight, yeah, this is, this promise is certain. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not simply like it will happen. It's, it's, it's done. It'd be like us talking about, you've been saved by God's grace, and he's given you an inheritance. It's yours. Right. And you're like, well, yeah. where is it? I haven't got it yet. No, right. it's yours. Right, right. It's yours, right? right. Yeah. Um, and so that, because I think for a lot of Christians today, we look at the world around us and we see it pretty bleak, or we see it going definitely in a downward trend for a very long time. We've had things pretty good in this country as Christians where we were seen as the majority, where we were seen as moral, at least, uh, kind, uh, upright, Good citizens would have been labeled on Christians, and I'm not saying that's fully disappeared. I think that's still around, probably in big chunks. But it is changing to where the morals that we have aren't necessarily seen as good morals anymore. Um, times are slowly changing, and and so we uh, we have to learn to live in that. And but we're living maybe in what people would call darkness or bleak times. And so we can get down, we can get out, or maybe personally people are going through trials and difficult circumstances. And it's, it's not unlike what the people of Judah were facing. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that the same hope and promise that they received, we receive. Mm-hmm. 
the same faith that they're being said, have faith, as, as uh, um, Isaiah would say, are, are you going to have faith in this, King Ahaz? Mm-hmm. And King Ahaz said, no. Right, right. But now the people are kind of being asked the same question. Are you going to have faith mm-hmm. in this? Right. Uh, I think sometimes we have to ask that same questions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, am I really going to have faith that God loves me, that God cares about me? That God wants my good because right mm-hmm. now I don't feel like God wants my right. good because I have pain that never goes away. And so how can that be good? How could God want my good if he's allowing this to happen? And we're faced with that same question. Are you going to look at your present circumstance and situation? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to look at how God has been faithful to people, his people forever? And he promises to be faithful forever. You know, what, what are you going to view it as? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it becomes very real. This passage, and I, I hope that it kind of changes Isaiah nine six and seven for us when we when we see that written on you know when you hang it up in your house for unto us a child is born the right. son is given right. the poster that we have or right. picture frame that we have yeah. it's like that was given to our family at one of the bleakest times in our history, mm-hmm. and that child came, that child conquered, and it's because of that child that we have a savior, we have a messiah, and we have a king who is a wonderful counselor, who is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, he's not on the throne yet on this earth where we see everything under his feet as is promised in Hebrews or in, in the Psalms as well. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we don't see that, but it's the same type of thing. Oh, it's happened. Mm-hmm. Right? It's happened. And we must hold to that and we must trust that. And even though I might go down in flames, right? Not the way I hope to go down, mm-hmm. but God's church will not go down his kingdom will not go down his people will remain and even in my death or whatever comes he's promised me victory in that and through that yeah no i love i think you see the faith that people were called to isaiah was calling people to the lord spoke to him and says um do not fear what they fear nor be in dread but the lord of hosts him you shall regard as holy let him be your fear let him be your dread And then later on, he says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so that hope has the idea of confident expectation. I will wait for him knowing he will keep his promise, even if I can't see it, and even if it's... It's dark right now, and, and Isaiah doesn't doesn't deny the darkness around him, but right. he but he has hope in the dawn to come at the end, mm-hmm. and that's that's what that's what we're called to believe into. Yeah, you think of Isaiah. I again, I wasn't there, and I don't want to put words into scripture, but you and I don't know what it looked like. I've often wondered this, like when he prophesies this, does everybody know he's prophesied this? Is it just a couple people? Like how mm. how does this happen? Right. But you have to think if 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 somebody heard this, don't you think they would ask Isaiah? win right but isaiah would have to respond and say i don't know i wasn't given that right so even he had to have faith in this right at the same Mm -hmm. time and i would have to believe in him being the one to speak it required a lot of faith to say it to believe it to trust it to go up to king ahaz who had the power to get rid of him Mm -hmm. if he wanted to and to say these things Mm -hmm. so yeah we're seeing faith all over the place and needed to needing to take place Mm -hmm. and um we have that too in our lives and in our situations we we live by by faith well and and also remember right before chapter seven we're told about chapter six yeah Yeah. so isaiah has just seen the real king 
So whenever this human king, merely human king, who is very sinful and weak, fails, Isaiah is probably frustrated and sad because he knows what's going to come. But on the other hand, he has he has experienced a profound uh, forgiveness in the holiness and the presence of the true king. So he he doesn't he, he he's brought to the point to where just he his greater fear and his greater trust are ultimately in the chapter six king, even when the chapter seven kings fail. And yeah, he's going to yeah. hope in the promised king to come that's given yeah. in, in chapter 9. I find so much hope in talking about Christ as king right now, just because I think we live in a time when we don't trust our rulers, when we really when we really see the negative side of all of our leaders. Uh, the day and age that we live in, uh, I feel like our leaders don't get much credit for the good that they do at times, which I, I would like to think all of our leaders do some good. I would like to think that there's some reason in them they're in the leadership position is because they have had a desire to do to do good. But we do see the negative. We definitely hear the bad, and that seems to be just trumpeted and out there all the time. And so for us, it's easy for us to look at the people in power around us and to see corruption, to see bad decisions, and to realize, I think, really quickly this cannot be the answer. I mean, when I see, <laughs> when I'm presented two people to be president in our country, I'm like, this is the best we got. You know, you're like, are you kidding me? Out of everything, these are the two best, really? And it, it becomes, it, it's sad uh, to see that. But it should point us, when we start talking about Christ as king and we see the attributes and we see the labels that are put on Christ, I think that should be, eye-opening for people. I really think God uses that in our day and age to say, this is the leader that you actually need, and it doesn't exist here. And I think that is a good form of evangelism nowadays of saying, there is one who will rule with justice, a word that we hear all the time now, right? He's actually going to rule with real justice, but also righteousness, right? Uh, But he's also going to love you like the perfect father and care about you. Oh, and by the way, he's also going to give you complete peace at all times. Can you imagine a leader like that? For us, it's like, no, I can't. I don't even know what that's like. It's like, mm-hmm. but we've been promised it and we've been given it in Christ. It's like, if by, if by faith you will trust in this, he'll be your king, right? Uh, and your father who loves you. And I think that's a, a good... Uh, I don't know what I want to say, weapon or tool that God has given us right now to share with people. And many are going to see it as a fantasy or as false and fiction. Um, but there are those who I think God will draw to himself to see, yes, this is this is what we need. In the chaos of this world, when we keep getting in the way and sin keeps disrupting everything, we have one who's lived it perfectly. And we have one that we can trust in, and he's the only one, and his name is Jesus. And And for those listening, you know, if you're part of the church, the church is the one who has that story to share with other people. It's been commissioned to us to let people know about this king, about our King Jesus. It's not the government's job. You know, it's not the public school's job. It's not name anything else. That has been established for the church to do. And we have this good news. And one of the privileges we have during the Christmas season, I say this every year, is people will actually listen to it more right now. 
You know, it's it's odd watching a Disney Christmas celebration at Disney World, and they're actually singing a Christian hymn. And it's like, what is happening here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it kind of feels sacrilegious when you're watching it at times. Like, I don't <laughs> think they know what they're saying. But still, they are actually singing these words of salvation in a baby. And it's like, okay, people are actually willing to listen to this right now. And so maybe we have the opportunity to share it with them and trust that God will work. And so uh, I would encourage our people who are listening to this to be inviting their family and friends to church throughout the Christmas season. Uh, They will hear the gospel. They will hear about Jesus. They'll hear about the hope that he has given uh, to them that can be found in him, forgiveness of their sins. Um, And maybe during this time of year, your friends and family will be more apt to come and to attend than they would before. And who knows what God might do? Maybe they'll just sit with their shoulders, you know, all hunched and mad that they're here. That's okay. But maybe God will prick their heart. Maybe their eyes will be open for the first time. And maybe they'll trust in Christ to forgive mm-hmm. them of their sins. We don't know. And so hopefully you'll be faithful uh, to invite people uh, throughout this this Christmas season. You guys got anything else at all? No wise words? Nope. No great wisdom? I had a question. Okay. The way verse 7 ends, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What, is, what does that mean? I think it's talking about, I, I I think what I see in that is God's excitement to do this to save his people. You know, I don't think it, it makes God happy to see his people with the Assyrians or to know that, well, they didn't listen and this this hardship is about to come. The zeal of the Lord is about to make this happen. A child will be born. A son's going to be given Right, the Savior is coming. Uh, that's what I see in that in that section there. Am I wrong? That felt I was like, genuinely felt like asking. A setup. No, I was genuinely asking. I didn't know. <laughs> I was curious because I mean we've already referenced the fact that like it's highlighted here. The Lord is the one doing this, but it mm-hmm. adds the zeal yeah. of the Lord is doing this. Yeah, just excitement. Usually, there's a purpose for words. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was just curious. Usually, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening and tuning in with us today. Hopefully it was helpful. Hey, if you ever have any questions um, about any of this stuff in this, but also our, our podcast, you can feel free to, to let us know. You can find all of our emails on our church website, and we'd be more than happy to answer any questions. I, I don't think we've said that in a while, but want to want to get that out there. If you see us at church, feel free to feel free to ask us. It could be something that we address on the on the podcast, or maybe it's a quick answer, and we could just answer it for you right on the spot. I don't know, but uh, we would love to to have that interaction with you. Well, hopefully, we see you this coming Sunday. Lord willing, as we can continue in the in the book of Isaiah. Uh, but until then, we hope that you have a, a great week. God bless.